0: So it wasn't wasn't supposed to happen quite like this. Like the future king, he wasn't supposed to be killed. He was supposed to be unstoppable. And in those first moments after Jesus has been put to death on a cross, an innocent victim, his followers, they become frightened. They go and they hide and they go and take cover. They actually all gather in this room and they immediately lock the door behind them and they huddle together and they start to doubt and question everything it was that they had learned from Jesus as they spent time with him over the last three years. They're worried and afraid that that they might be next. Who's gonna be the next one of them to end up on a cross? And so Friday's happened and Jesus has been crucified and Saturday comes and they continue to hide we continue to lock the door. Sunday morning comes. They're still hiding. The door's still locked. They're still questioning. And there comes a knock. It's Mary Magdalene. She says, you guys need to come and see this. Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. Like the stone's been rolled away and it's empty. So Peter and John, they take off and they run. John gets there first, but he won't go inside. Peter gets there and he goes inside. And immediately on the floor he finds The burial clothes all folded nicely. It's true, Jesus is missing, he's not there. It begins to spark something inside of them. Maybe Jesus wasn't lying. Maybe the whole, whole, I'm gonna rise from the dead in three days thing was true and they start to believe it again. So much so that they go back into the room, lock the door and hide they start to wonder, okay, what do we do now? They're going to start accusing us of stealing Jesus' body. We still might be the next one to end up on the cross. And while they're all gathered in this room, Jesus appears to them. Out of nowhere, he's there. He's like, peace be with you guys. Good to see you. Right? And they start to stick their fingers in his wounds and in his side. And they, they hold him and they touch him and they talk to him. And over the next 40 days, they share meals with him and conversations with him. He meets them in different places, in different rooms, along different roads. And he lets them know that he is surely alive. And then there comes this moment when it's time for Jesus to leave. It's time for him to ascend His work on earth is finished and he has this message for them. And so they're all gathered there with Jesus to hear his last words and he says this. He says, my Holy Spirit will come upon you and it will bring you power. And when that happens, he said, you will be my witnesses. Not just right here in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but even to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. And as those words leave his mouth, He ends up on this cloud, and he starts to ascend into heaven to be with the Father. And all of them are gathered there. All his followers are gathered there, right? Like, I'm sure their mouths are gaping, and they're watching. So he goes away, staring. And then two messengers come along, and they're like, what are you staring at? Jesus is gone, and he's going to come back. Let's go. Let's get about it. You're his witnesses now. You're his witnesses. What a challenge. So the direction I want to set us out on today, I just want to say up front, is this. This would be for specific followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this message is for you. If you're not, if this is your first time, you're just checking it out, you're seeking whatever it might be, like you got to pass. Sit back, relax. But this would be for those of us who call Jesus our Lord. And so what I want to do is make this distinction Before we dive in, a distinction between what is a hero and what is a saint. A hero and a saint. So here's this quote from this author. Brian Zahn is his name, and this is what he says. He says, part of the problem is that in the Western world, we are deeply conditioned to choose the heroic over the saintly. We love our heroes best of all. Heroes are goal-oriented people of great capabilities who know how to make things happen. We admire their ability to get things done and to shape the world according to their will. Saints, on the other hand, especially to the American mind, seem quaint and marginable, occupying religious spheres on the periphery of the action. We want to be heroes. We don't really want to be saints. And the difference between the heroic vision and the saintly vision is a fundamentally different way of viewing the purpose of life. And so this is my challenge, the hero and the saint. Like even in preparing for this weekend let alone every day of my life when I wake up. Like, like I've wrestled with this need and this desire to be heroic, to be impressive, like, to shape this room according to my will. Like, oh, I can't help but believe, though, that that as I, I struggle with that, that it's horribly detrimental to my following of Jesus. Right, Because deeply seated within me is this, this desire to feel like I'm doing something great for God, something courageous, something brave. And perhaps you won't be able to relate to this at all. But as I strive to do things that are great or courageous or brave, and all for God, I, I would hope that I would also look a little bit cool doing it. <laughs> or like that, that would be an added bonus. Right, like you know it would be something like, Man, he's so smooth, yet funny, right? He's intelligent, yet relevant. He's, he's debonair, yet so natural, right? Like that, That's what would be said about me, and it, it, it's true, though, isn't it? Like, we want to carry out God's work in the world with style. We want to do it with style, and, and I'm not so naive to, to think that there are some of us here who are perfectly content doing good things for God and going unnoticed, But if you're anything like like my messy self, it's a lot more fun to be noticed when you do those things. We all wanna feel cool or feel strong or feel good about what it is we're doing in the world. We wanna feel better about who we are. On some level, we want this life to be relatively easy and effortless and we want things to go naturally with minimal struggle and without pain. So that when people look upon our lives, they'll say things like, look at that. It's so perfect the way he lives. We want them to say that about us. And for for me, anytime I feel like, like I've arrived... Right, or like I'm doing exactly what it is that God has called me to do. And in that moment, I start to come alive. It's almost like immediately, simultaneously, my, my soul, it starts to throw up with insecurity and challenges. I'm stretched beyond my own comfort zone. Because all along, I'm, I'm hoping that people will be impressed by Jesus, yes. Right, but as an added bonus, I hope they will be impressed by me as well. And each time I get to one of those moments in my life, God seems to have a way of making sure I'm reminded of just how human I actually am. I had one of these such moments a couple months ago. It actually happened following a weekend where I was able to share with you on this very stage. You see, I thought it would be a good good idea to stand before all of you, my family, and rip off my shirt right and I was wearing a tank top underneath just to clarify right and then beyond that I decided it would also be a good idea to start to talk about and share with you like my deepest pains my my biggest fears and my struggles and I laid those out for all of us as well and while that was happening I, I knew like, that's what I was created to do. I knew that I was coming alive. I knew that we need to be transparent and vulnerable with each other, that we need to not be afraid of exposing our weaknesses. But then at the same time, like I said, my soul is throwing up, and I go to bed that night after that weekend, and I wake up the next morning. I'm like, what did I just do? Right, like, I think they, they call that a vulnerability hangover. Right, like, man, did I really think that was a good idea? Right, did I really think so? And so there's this tension that I was constantly feeling of like, oh, that's, that's what it means to do what God's called me to do. Oh my gosh, I really did it. And it was harder and more painful than I anticipated. Right? And, and so that's where I live. And if we're gonna actually answer this question of what is our mission here, then we're gonna have to look onto how Jesus urged his followers to live. And he gives us a pretty clear mission, a pretty clear vision of what that's supposed to be about. And beyond that and maybe even in within that we, we have this like difference between a hero and a saint that I talked about. But we also start to see there's similar differences between a hero and a witness. The type of witness that Jesus is calling us to be. So if you would we're going to check out Acts 1 and we're going to start in verse 3. And that's that's right there's actually some scripture to look at this weekend to set the stage. Not just a bunch of stories from me. And so this is right before Jesus ascends to be with the Father. Here's what it says in Acts 1, starting in verse 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, like, when are we going to open presents? Are you kidding? That's not what he said. He said, they were like, Lord, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Now check out this language. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then he says this, and he says, you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Right, like you can quit standing around now. Go be the witnesses he was talking about. Right, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, in this moment in his last words, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. He's not saying to his disciples that his spirit will give them the power to witness. right? Because so often we think, especially like in our Western mind of witnessing, as, as maybe going from door to door and handing out a track, or being sneaky and setting it under a windshield wiper on the, the windshield of a car. Right, and I'm not, not, not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that's what we have in our mind. I think Jesus is saying more along the lines of, you will be my witnesses. Jesus isn't talking about something that we will do, but rather about who we will become. Jesus is talking less about an action and more about a way of life. You will be my witnesses. And I can't help but think that this is what it means to be like Jesus, that this is what it means to be human, like this is the focal point, to be a witness. And I also can't help but think that being a witness just has to be the opposite of being a hero. So what's a witness? What is a witness, what is Jesus talking about? I thought the best way that we could maybe figure out what a witness is, is to compare it to a witness in the courtroom. And there's, there's very similar uh, comparisons here. And so if, if you're a witness in the courtroom, there's a few things that are true about you that I think would also be true about a witness of Jesus. The first one is this, if you're a witness, it's not about you. Like a witness is never the main point. A witness isn't the main point. The second thing is, the only reason you are there as a witness is to corroborate a story and a testimony. You're just there to tell it, right? Which leads to the third thing, that witnesses are only permitted to testify to what they've seen or experienced. Right, like in a courtroom, they, they go up there, they do the, the Bible thing, and the, you know, this, yep, yeah, I promise to tell the truth, right, on, on that stuff. And then all they can do is talk about what they've seen and experienced that's all they get to do which leads to the fourth thing about a witness you're not trying to convince anyone of anything you're just letting the story do that itself and so often we think that that's what it means to be a witness of jesus that we have to convince everyone of everything just tell the story Like, being a witness of Jesus is simply about offering the testimony of who Jesus is. Like, there's nothing spectacular about being a witness. Witnesses are actually quite forgettable, right? Their memory fades quickly. We don't know what they were, who they were, but their story is what lives on. And I couldn't really think of a great way to explain this other than this trial that was all over the place when I was in middle school, the OJ trial. You may remember it. Right, because it was everywhere on every TV. My family followed it closely. Like OJ was there. And like that that lawyer Johnny guy. We don't know who the witnesses were. We can't remember that. If you can, you watch too much of it. Right? Like they're not memorable. Being a witness is the opposite of being a hero, of being the main point. Being a witness is not about being known or recognized. And I think this speaks of what it means to bear witness to Jesus. Because so often, even within the church, or maybe especially within the church, we live in this culture where there is so much pressure on us to do great things. So much pressure, and I feel like most Christians I know or or many Christians I know, I'm not actually sure how absolute I want to make that statement, but the majority of the Christians I know feel guilty most of the time because they don't feel like their lives are great enough or significant enough. Right? We hear these stories of missionaries the world over sacrificing their lives to great extents, right? way more than we are. Or we hear dramatic stories of how God is building his kingdom Or we even hear stories from time to time of people who, because of their their calling and because of their gifts, have this opportunity to influence more and more people for the gospel, and we assume that this is the kind of greatness that God is calling us to, thus the pressure to be so heroic in our witness, right? And just as we defined a hero earlier, then that becomes all about personal achievement, The kind of person who gets things done. It's all about the kind of person who receives accolades and acclaim and is admired. We think that's supposed to be us. And the truth of the matter is, the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be, specifically his witnesses, it's so unbelievably small. Jesus even teaches us this. He says, if anyone would give a cup of cold water to someone in need in my name, they will never be forgotten. What a small, insignificant, unnoticeable thing that would appear to be. So much of how Jesus brings his kingdom into this world is through quote-unquote small people doing small things that don't look significant. Or maybe even just let me, let me say it like this and push it a little harder on us. We have a hard time receiving the opportunities God gives us because we're always wanting something more or something greater. We end up saying things like, I'd love to do something significant for God, but I'm stuck at home with these babies. I would, I would love to do something great for God, but I've been at the same job for all these years and I've never received a promotion I'd love to do something amazing for God, but I'm only a teenager. I'd love to be admired for serving God when I'm stuck with all this debt. i right? do something significant for God, but it seems like nobody knows my name. Nobody's noticing me. Nobody is paying me any attention. And then after we say these things, we start to play this game, and we replay moments of our lives. We start playing the what-if game, right? Wondering, what if I had done things differently? What if, what if I had taken that job? What if, what if I wouldn't have dropped out of school? What if I hadn't moved away? What if I hadn't ended that relationship? Right? What if I had a different job? What if I didn't move? What if I whatever stayed in the relationship? Like, what if, what if, what if we play that game? Right? Because there's this sense in many of our lives that what we're doing right now just doesn't have enough weight to it, that it's not significant enough. And we can even end up in this place where we start to believe that God is displeased with us because we're not doing the things that would be perceived as greatness or even heroic to us. But what if this? What if the life of the witness is a life doing small things for the glory of God where next to nobody notices? What if the life of a witness is doing small things for the glory of God where next to nobody notices? Like here's what I'm, here's what I'm wrestling with. This, this means I certainly don't have it figured out. Right? So like don't quote me on it or whatever, I don't know. Right it, Man, this is, this is it. Wouldn't it be better for me? This is what I think, inside of my own heart, right? Wouldn't it be better for me to do the things that God has called me to do with courage and strength and charisma or whatever it is, and somehow that's going to bring more glory to God? If I would do it like that, it would bring more glory to God. So, like, here's where the wrestling comes in. What if I'm able to be a better witness for Jesus when I'm limping rather than when I'm strutting? What if I'm able to be a better witness for Jesus when I'm suffering the effects of a vulnerability hangover rather than like fist pumping some great speech I just gave? Or like what if my witness is more potent limping than strutting? What if God at work through my weakness is a more profound witness to the world than me doing it with some sort of style and pizzazz? What if the greater witness to the world is not that I do everything I do with excellence, but then when people look at my life and they see what I'm doing and they walk away from that, all they can say is, well, I think God's at work there. There seems to be something going on that I can't explain. That has to be God. Right, and let's be honest, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that to be the way that like we're described. Right? They, they, they don't know what's going on. They don't have a whole lot to add, but man, God must be doing something there. Right? It's like one of one of my favorite scriptures, and one that I kept reading as I was coming back to preparing for this weekend. It's found in Acts 4. And it tells the story of, of Peter and John, and they're out preaching. Right, because at that point they're no longer like huddled in a room, locked up, afraid. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they're out preaching, they're being witnesses, right? And they get arrested. And they're being questioned by the council. And as they're being questioned, right, the, the, the council rather dismissively says like, these are really ordinary men with no training. It's very clear to them that these are ordinary men with no training. Right, they're pretty low. But this is what they marvel at because it was so obvious. They say, these men must have been with Jesus. No training. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have it figured out. But they must have been with Jesus. Like, are you seeing what a backhanded compliment that is? Right? Because if that's me... That's not the kind of compliment I'd want. What I'd want to actually hear is this something along the lines of, he was strong and eloquent, articulate and gifted, yet he even loved Jesus. Right? I want to be the guy where everyone says, wasn't that guy really something? Didn't his sermon blow your mind? And he even loves God. Like, that's what I want to hear. I want to feel good, and I want to feel impressive about what it is I'm doing for God. I don't want to reveal my vulnerability. I don't want to reveal my weakness. I don't want to reveal my shortcomings. However, Jesus says, be a witness. So this means I'm not to testify about myself and my abilities. It's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We only preach about Jesus Christ Christ. Our Lord, right, which sounds great, sounds like a good goal, but then he goes on to say this. He says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And so maybe the point that Jesus wants us to realize and maybe the point that Paul wants us to realize is that maybe our lives are just broken enough and just small enough that the only way that people are impressed is that we're so cracked and that there's so much light getting through in our lives that all anyone can say is there's no explanation for that except for Jesus. No explanation. And you know what? That's the destiny that we're all trying so desperately to avoid. To reveal our cracks. Yet I'm absolutely convinced that that's the type of life that God is calling us to live. He's not calling you necessarily to do the things that you would be perceiving as greatness. Your own perception of what greatness might be like and look like and what God has called us to be Is so skewed compared to what God actually thinks about you. A lot of the time, your definition of greatness and my definition of greatness would only get in the way of what God really wants to do in you and in me. God's not looking for us to be the strongest, He's not looking for us to be the most impressive. God is looking for a weak follower who is content to be deeply dependent, completely dependent on him. God's looking for a weak, broken, fragile witness of someone who says, if there is anything good in me at all, it is only because of Jesus. And if we live that life as weak, fragile, broken witnesses who rely completely on Jesus, that is the most courageous thing that we could ever do the most courageous. Because if being a witness means that on some level, like our exterior needs to become more calm or more brave or more intelligent or more put together, right, or more whatever, then we have such a long ways to go. But if God uses the broken and the weak things of this world, if God uses the foolish things of this world, then we are already cut out for the job of being witnesses. We're already there, like right here, right now, we can be witnesses. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until there's a more heroic opportunity before us. We don't have to wait until we have some sort of bigger platform. We don't have to wait for our moment to come because our opportunity is actually right now. And I think that some of us need to stop walking around feeling bad about ourselves, thinking our lives aren't big enough or noticeable enough. God doesn't care about any of that. And it doesn't mean that you've been disobedient or or that you've been wrong. And even to one-up that, if you have been disobedient or you have been wrong, God can still use you right now if you give him the chance. We are so prone as people to think that whatever influence God has given us right now is not that big of a deal. But what if we looked at all of the people around us? I don't necessarily mean in this room, like all around you in your everyday life, the the home you live in, the place you work, the gym you go to, the restaurants you frequent, the coffee shops you're at, those people around you. Do we really think those people are insignificant to God? Our opportunity is now because the fact of the matter is this. God is desperately in love with every single person in our midst right now. Our opportunity to love, to be witnesses of Jesus is the present. Maybe that's why they call it that, right? That God wants to touch those very people all around you with his love through you and your willingness to be a witness right here, right now. Let's let's not despise the smallness of the task. A task that might not be glamorous or noticeable, but a task where God always does his best work. And the small things. I want to leave you with this. Mother Teresa, she has this saying. She would say, small things with great love. Right, and so about four years ago, I did this project. Yes, that's right. I paper mache this. Yeah, you can have my man card. It's fine. Like, how's that for vulnerability? I did this paper mache <laughs> thing with polka dots and, you know, silly colors. Uh, but it says this. The sign says this. It says, today, small things with great love or don't walk out the door. Right, and we, we hung it above our door. Sometimes I disobeyed it. But that's the idea. Today, small things with great love or don't walk out the door. Like this is the life of a witness of Jesus Christ. And just imagine this. Imagine if we stayed in this room as long as we needed to. Until we would be like, okay, I can go out that door now because I'm committed to being a witness to doing small things with great love for the glory of Jesus. And what if you managed to get out of here today and you woke up tomorrow morning and you said, I'm not leaving this place until I can be all in Small things with great love for the glory of Jesus and you didn't walk out the door and you didn't use it as an excuse to not go to work because Jesus is desperately in love with those people too. Right, and then, wow, you made it two days and the next day you wake up again and you say, I'm not leaving this place until I'm committed to be a witness of Jesus who will do small things with great love for the glory of God. What if we were those kinds of witnesses, those kinds of people small things with great love the life of a witness of Jesus Christ you can go ahead set your stuff aside maybe and we're just going to take a few moments to let each other work this over with God and maybe the first thing that some of us need to do is we just need to confess to our desire to be impressive or to be great and ask God to make us humble And as you do that and we take a few minutes with God, I want you to reflect on this quote, also from Brian Zahn, regarding heroes and saints. He says, it should be clear that the way of Christ is not the way of the conventional hero. Because Jesus saves the world not by shedding the blood of his enemies, but by allowing his own blood to be shed in an act of redemptive love. This is the way of the saint not the hero but we struggle with choosing the way of the saint over the way of the hero go ahead and struggle with that and i'll close us in a moment As you're finishing up, I'd like to issue a challenge to all of us too. If you're here this morning and you wanna take the challenge to heart that you would go and be a witness of Jesus Christ, that you would be committed to doing small things with great love to the glory of God, would you just slip your hand up and say, yep, I'm, I'm doing that, I'm not gonna walk out the door unless I'm in on that. Yeah, hands all over the room. Small things with great love to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. God, we, we love you. We thank you that you're a God who loves us just as we are no matter where we've been or what we've done. We thank you that you love us enough to send your son take our place and God this morning I would even pray that you would forgive us for being people who often strive to be impressive and significant and noticed when we do your work and I ask that you would begin in us a change of heart one where, where we would be committed to being your witness without any recognition, small things, with great love. And God, I also pray that if there's anything that we would have the courage to do, that it would be to reveal to the world that we don't have it all together, that we're cracked and fragile and broken, but that's how the light gets in. God, would you continue to shine your light on our lives and would we be people that when we interact with others, when we love others, when we reach out, when we spend time with people, that they would walk away from those interactions and those relationships and those encounters and all they would be able to say is that that person must have been with you, Jesus. God, we give you our lives. Make us a people about your business of witnessing by the power of your spirit within us. God, may it all be for your glory. May it be to make you famous and not ourselves. Would we not get in the way of your work, but would we only make you known? Be with us, God, we love you. In your name we pray.